Show some enthusiasm, please. <laughs> okay, uh, so I think some of you will, will, would have seen him before. You know him. Uh, he's, uh, he's doing interesting things in the medical and the mission field. <laughs> and we're going to get him up here and going to pray before we start. Could I stand up? Okay, and let's, let's spend some time praying for ourselves first. Okay, let's ask God to open our hearts, give us an open heart, receptive heart, a tender heart to hear. And let's pray for Raj as well. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come right now and you give us a heart that, that is really open to you, a heart that is willing to hear from you, to receive from you. And God, I pray that when we hear the word, that God, your word will take root and it will, and, and, and it will really go deep into our hearts. I pray that, Father, we will not just hear, but we will be transformed and we will encounter you today. And Father, we ask that right now you will anoint Raj and that Holy Spirit, you will be with him. And Father, you will enable him to speak from you. Um, that it will not be his own human voice, but it will be your Holy Spirit speaking. So, Father, bless him, even as he uh, ministers to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew 25. Test. Okay, yes, it works. All right. Um, I don't usually preach at your service. I'm usually at the first service uh, among the much older people. I'm a little bit nervous right now because I'm uncertain why it is that there's nobody around this area. Is there something about this area that you're not telling me about? Um, but anyway, I mean, I know that uh, Joanne was standing around here, so I'm trusting that that means it's reasonably okay. Anyway, um, how many of you guys recognize this song? <sighs> okay, this is one of those... I, this is one of those things that just reveals our generational divide, you know, I, uh, sad. Okay, anyway, so there are lots of songs within our Christian repertoire, the things that we sing about, that go something like this, like they talk about drawing close to God, being near God, meeting God, Him coming to us. It's a big part of our Christian life, and it should be, because if we are God's children and we have been adopted by Him, we, He plants in us a desire to be near Him, to meet Him, to be close to Him. But what, what does that look like? What, what is it like to be near God, to meet God, to meet Jesus, to be near to Him today? And a big part of our Christian life revolves around this. But think, the kind of things that we do in order to be near God, in order to meet God, in order to feel Him close to us. So what we're going to do now is this. I'm going to give you like one minute. By the way, I, I kind of teach in the university, so I do kind of questions and stuff. So what I want you to do is just... I want you to think and write down or put down your smartphone or whatever three things that are important to you in the way that you come into God's presence or that you seek God's presence. Don't worry, I'm not going to get your answers from you or, or, or mark your answers or give you a pass-fail. I just want you to write it down. You get about a minute to do this. What are the things that are important in your Christian life as a way of seeking God's presence?
have about 30 seconds left. Okay, that felt like a minute to me, so you can stop there. Now, uh, I just want you to hang on to the things that you've written, and we'll kind of come back to it a little bit later on. Now, what we're talking about, the idea of God's presence, of wanting to encounter God's presence or to be near God's presence, it's not just something that's a part of our Christian life today. It's a part of what the people in Jesus' day sought and wanted to know about. And the problem was, in one sense, they had lost God's presence, and they knew it, and it bothered them. Now, what do I mean by this? Now, in order to find out, we're going to look through the, the whole Old Testament from beginning to end in five minutes, okay? So, you remember that right in the beginning in Genesis, God walked with Adam and Eve. So, God's presence was with Adam and Eve. And then, Adam and Eve, they fell, and God's presence was taken away from them. They were expelled from the garden and didn't have any more direct contact with Him. And then, as, you know, centuries passed, eventually God redeemed His people, Israel, and His presence came back to them. Initially, it was the cloud that was with them while they were going through the wilderness, and then it became the tabernacle, the temporary temple. And then finally, it came in its fullness after who built the temple? Okay, I heard a couple of Solomon's, yes. After Solomon built the temple, and God's presence came into the temple, and you have that uh, recorded in 1 Kings chapter 8. Now, things were okay for a couple of hundred years, and then Israel fell away from God, they sinned, and as a result, God's presence was again taken away from them. And you see this recorded in Ezekiel chapter 9, and after God's presence left the temple, then the temple was destroyed. And so they had gone through this up and down, this roller coaster of having God's presence and losing God's presence and having God's presence and having lost it again. And now having lost it, they were promised that a time will come when God's presence will return to the temple. And so they waited, and then they rebuilt the temple. And this is recorded in uh, Ezra Nehemiah, where waiting for God's presence to come back and fill the temple, they built a second one, and they waited, and they waited, and nothing happened until the worst possible thing happened in about 167 B.C., when... There's this guy called uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was, um, uh, he was a Roman emperor. And what he did was he swept into Israel. He destroyed the people, went into the temple, and did the worst possible thing that they could do in order to prove to the Israelites that their God did not exist, that their God no longer stayed with them. So what he did was he went into the temple itself, the temple building, and you know how pigs are haram or who are... Um, What's the other word for it? Um, pigs are, are unclean to Muslims and Jews, right? So they got a pig and they sacrificed it on the altar of the temple. It's the worst possible thing that you could do to offend the Jews, just to demonstrate to them that your God does not exist, that your God no longer is here, and I'll rub your face in it. And so they do that in 167 BC. And the Jews recorded that, and they called that the abomination that causes desolation. And that became for them like their story of Hiroshima, the time when their God was taken away from them and his presence is no longer with them. And so that was about 200 years before Christ. And then at the time when Christ comes, there are all of these people who knew that God's presence in the temple had been taken away. It was no longer going to come back. And they were looking for ways 
in which they could find God's presence in some other way. And so what did they do? There were a couple of different groups of people. Just like today, there are lots of different types of Christians who seek experiences with God in different ways. But at that time, there were a bunch of different people. But to simplify that, let's call it two broad groups of people who were trying to find God's presence again. And so one group of people looked back. They wanted to remember what things were like when God was, was with them, one, when things were good. And they said, if only we could go back to a time like that, if only we could restore the way that things were back then, if only we could get rid of all of these foreign invaders and be like we were 200, 300 years ago, then God will come back. And so these are the people that looked back, and there are a bunch of different names for them, you know, Sadducees, Sicarii, Zealots, but they all did about the same thing. But then there was a different group of people who said, no, that's not going to work. We're never going to be able to go back to the way that things were before, and therefore we have to change the way that we look for God, not, not, to, not in a temple, but, but in, in ourselves, in the way that we behave in the way that the things that we do, in the way that we experience God or meditate or go into ourselves and think about Him and fast and pray and be good and find a way that we can experience God in ourselves. And these are the people who looked inwards. And again, there are a whole bunch of different types of people who, that had different emphases. But some of them were the Pharisees, some of them were the Essenes. Um, and they looked inside themselves. So two broad groups of people. So remember, God's presence was with Israel. God's presence was taken away. They knew that it was taken away, and now there are people trying to find God's presence again. Some of them looked back. Some of them looked inwards. And then into this, into this story, along comes Jesus. And this is what he says to them. And I'm reading from Matthew chapter 25, verse uh, 31 onwards. I'm reading from the ESV, verse 31 when the Son of Man comes in His glory, this is Jesus' words, and all the angels with Him, and then He will sit on His glorious throne. So this is when Jesus comes back. So before Him will be gathered all of the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are Blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 14, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Verse 41, and then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
the people in Jesus' day had lost God's presence, and so they're looking for God's presence again in trying to restore things the way that things were before, looking back and looking into themselves. And Jesus tells them, you meet me, you minister to me, in what you did to the least of these brothers of mine. Verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. That was Jesus' word to them, the people at that time who were seeking God's presence. And now the question is, what about us? In our day, as the entire Christian church rightly, truly seeks to experience God's presence, seeks to be near Him, to meet Him, how do we do that? What do we usually do? I want you to, for a minute, look at the things that you wrote down a little bit earlier. The things that come to the surface of your mind as the first things, the most important things in your life when it comes to meeting Jesus, ministering to Him, being near Him, experiencing His presence. What are those things? If in some part of them you've included ministering to the least of His brothers, um, you're not far from the way the Bible speaks of meeting God. But if everything that you've written down, everything that's important to you in coming near God or meeting Him is other things, maybe right things, maybe good things, that doesn't include ministering to the least of His brothers, then you're missing something. So, some, something's wrong. And we need to fix that. Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did to me. Now, now what, what does that mean? Who, who is he talking about? At first glance, it seems easy to tell who those people are, right? I mean, verse 37 onwards, it talks about the, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the sick, the in prison. And, and these are other people, people who are in need. But more precisely, in this particular text... Jesus is talking about other believers. And we know this because the term that he uses, these brothers of mine, in the rest of the book of Matthew, it's used consistently to speak of the disciples, of other people who are believers. And so there are good reasons why we should be attending to the needs of all people, of loving our neighbor as ourselves. But at least in this text, what Jesus has in mind, the way that you meet him, the way that you minister to him, is in the lives of other needy believers, other people who also know him. And that is the way that you meet Jesus today. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to give you a couple of examples. We're going to look at examples from far away to closer to us. Now, this is the one of those examples of people who are really far away. This is Open Doors, opendoors.org. I think it's a website of an NGO that deals in Christian persecution that talks about, that attempts to help Christians around the world who are undergoing suffering for various reasons. And every day you've got an update of what's going on with other believers around the world. Uh, I just took this, you know, screenshot uh, just a couple of hours ago, just before I came here, and it talks about the church in Niger, that's in Africa, the church in uh, Tehran, um, uh, that, that's in Iran, um, 
the church in Sudan, two pastors, right at the bottom right here, two pastors in Sudan face death over Christian faith. And every day you have stories like this of other believers around the world who face persecution, who face death, who face threat, who face suffering, who face violence and intimidation by other people because of their faith. We don't always hear about all of these. Um, one of those that was very big in the news just a couple of months ago is what happened with the Coptic um, Christians in Egypt. The next picture is going to be a little bit gruesome, so I'm just going to warn you before I go to that. So 22 Christians kidnapped by a militant Islamic group, and they were beheaded. Um, videos were taken, they were posted online. You probably heard about this. This was big news. We hear about it once every couple of months, and yet it happens almost every day in smaller groups. People who aren't filmed in a couple of places around the world. Now, if it is true that Jesus says that I was hungry and you gave me no food, I was thirsty and you gave me no drink, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. When he speaks about Christians who are suffering and says what you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. What does it mean for us when we think about persecuted Christians around the world? The day will come when all of us are assembled before his throne. And one of the questions that at least some people are going to face is this. I was kidnapped and beheaded, and you did not come to my aid. And what will our answer to that be? It may not be us who have to answer to that, but some part of the Christian church will answer to that. And what will we say? Will we say, I was too busy to do anything about it. I was not interested. Will we say, I was too busy leading a Bible study, or I was too busy preaching, or I was too busy singing songs about you in church, that I wasn't able to do anything about you when you were kidnapped and tortured and beheaded. As you didn't, did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. Not all of you, okay, very few of you are going to end up being a United Nations peacekeeper or a diplomat who actually gets to do something about these things, right? Um, neither will I. Most of us will never have the power to be able to make a real significant difference in these kind of larger global events, and that's okay. We're not accountable for the things that we can't control. But that's far, far away. Let's come a little bit closer to home. Um, this is from a trip from the y, uh, that the YA did to uh, Tanjung Pinang in Indonesia. That's you know, just a couple of hundred kilometers from us. Uh, this is, I think, 2013. This is part of the Batam Bible School that, uh, we're, that as a church we're supporting. And this is a mission trip that involved helping the Bible School to teach other people, to reach people who don't know Christ, attending to some of their physical needs in terms of hunger and education. Some of these are believers who have come to Christ through the ministry of the Batam Bible School. And many of them live very, very difficult lives. And here's an opportunity for us to minister far, far closer to home. And you, don't, and you can recognize some of these people. You don't need to be Barack Obama to be able to do something like this. And Jesus says, as you did to one of the least of these brothers, you did to me. And again, 
these are the kind of things that happens once in a while, you know, once in a year, once in a couple of years, mission trips and opportunities like that happen. But let's come again one step even closer to home. Do you recognize this? This is a Telugu service that happens downstairs on Sundays. And um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a Telugu service where we had a combined service and other people went in to help us. And one of the things that we notice is the Telugu service, these are all, remember, believers. Many of them new believers. They don't have any other guitarists other than Pastor Danny. And he's playing every Sunday. And so when he's not able to play, the, the, you know, the, the kind of worship kind of, you know, changes in its, in its key. And some of us got together and we thought, what can we do about this? Believers, our brothers, worshiping, and they have a deficiency. Let's do something about it. And so we've got now a group of about four or five volunteers from the young adults in the main service who are going to be teaching guitar to the Telugu service guys um, over a couple of weeks. And at the end of that, what we're hoping is these new believers, these Telugu believers, so many of them who have not picked up a guitar before, they'll be able to place worship for their church and they'll be able to go back and run their cell groups in their dormitories here by themselves. They'll be able to go back to India a couple of years later when, uh, when, when their contract here finishes, and they'll be able to start groups, and they'll be able to play worship with them. And that is an amazing thing. And this is people from our young adults, our uh, main services, who are ministering to other believers right over here. And we're thinking beyond that. And hopefully a couple of months later, what we'll do is we'll be running programs for these guys where we'll be teaching some of them how to use Excel or Microsoft Word or Microsoft PowerPoint, stuff that you guys know how to do, which they don't know how to do, but if they had those skills, they'd be able to get a better job than you know, doing construction or shipyard work when they go back to India. Now, if Jesus says, what you've done to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done with you. For me, how many of you would like to teach PowerPoint to Jesus? Um, here's your opportunity. You know? Keep a lookout. These are the kind of things that allow you to minister to other believers. But again, we're talking now about at a church level, a cross-congregation level. So let's come back one step closer to this. As you did to one of the least of these brothers, you did to me. In the church in Acts, in the New Testament that comes after the Gospels, you don't see, you see this relatively powerless church, a weak church that doesn't have the ability to move things or change things at the society level, at the country level, but you see the way that they deal with one another within their own congregation, within their own church. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 30, uh, 32 onwards. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was in his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is nuts. Can you imagine if we take this church, this first century Christian church, and we transported them through a time machine and planted them in PPH? What would they be like? What kind of needs would they be attending to? What would they give up or sell or give away so that they could help address the needs of every other person in church so that they would be able to say, as many of them were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds and laid at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them because they did this. What would it look like 
if that church was here today? And why don't we look like that? What's, what's wrong with us if we don't look like this? We're not talking about other congregations. We're not talking about other countries. We're not talking about across the world. We're talking about our own congregations, about our own cell groups, most importantly to begin with, but your young adult, your youth congregation. If you're a part of that, and there's someone among that that has a need, that's your opportunity to minister, to meet to Jesus Christ today. Now, it's sometimes easy, it's sometimes happy, it's sometimes an easy thing to do. A lot of the time, it's not. One of the most important ways is dealing with people with emotional problems within our midst. Now, in any population of people, probably about 10% of them is going to get depression at some point in their life. And that means that among you guys, probably about maybe three or four people at some point in your life, either before or now or later, would go through depression. Some of you already know them. There are some people in our church who have that. Some of your friends in this congregation that you know better than other people are going through some really tough times. What you did not do to the least of these, my brothers, you did not do for me. That's your opportunity to minister to Christ. And it's a hard thing to do. I know because I have a friend, she's in another church who's got depression, taking medications for this, and there are times when she goes low, and it's tough for everybody around her. Um, there was a period of time when um, she was unable to get up in the mornings to go to work, and she was about to lose her job because of this. And we had an agreement that I would meet her for breakfast at you know, 7.30 a.m. so that she'd have a reason to come down. And then after that, you know, I would go to my work in, in NUS or in the hospital, and she would go to her work. And that took an awful lot of time. It took an awful lot of effort. And when someone is depressed or going through emotional trouble, they're not the easiest or most fun people to sit around with. You know, you kind of sit there and you're like, so. And she's like. And we had to do this for months on end. And that was hard. It was not pleasant. I got angry. I got upset. But I had to. Because what I did to the least of these believers, brothers of Jesus, sister of Jesus, is what you do for him. And so let's go back to where we started. To What do you do to seek God's presence in your Christian life? If it is predominantly looking backwards at what things were at a camp that you attended a few weeks ago or months ago, or an altar call that you did once upon a time, if you're looking inwards at a way that you can live or be, you know, you can do quiet time every day, these are all good things, right things, yes. But if that is all that it means to you to meet Christ, something's missing. If you're experience of meeting Christ is like this, you alone on a desert, you know, with nice lighting and a photographer behind you. Something's missing. Now, what do we do for, I mean, these are good things, real things, right things, you know, quiet time, coming to church, personal prayer, personal holiness, worship, these are right things. What do you do when, about juggling this and ministry and meeting the needs of people? Well, here, here's a rule that's not in the Bible. This is my own rule, and I found that it works for me. I, I call it the 50-50 rule, which is about the same amount of time that I dedicate to 
explicit Christian work. I mean, that's reading the Bible or quiet time or doing theological studies or preaching or something like this. I want to have about the same number of hours in my life um, dealing with meeting the needs of other people. It, it works for me. It gives me something to aim for. I'm not saying that, therefore, what you should do is you should cut down coming to church so that you don't need to do this stuff more. Um, I'm saying that the amount of time that you spend worshiping, being near God, the same amount of time you should be investing in meeting the needs of other people. All of this is now in this life. We've talked about how in the beginning, in Eden, God's presence was with the people. Then it came and went and came and went and came and went. And now, in this season, after Jesus came and until Jesus comes again, we meet Jesus' presence. We minister to God through the meeting the needs of other people. What happens right at the end, at the end of the Bible? This is Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. Then the angel showed me, this is showed uh, John the writer, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. This is a picture just like the Garden of Eden, right in the beginning of the Bible. There's a river of life, there's the tree of life, and God is once again with his people. Verse 4, and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more and there will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. At the end of time, our contact with Jesus, our communion with God's presence will be direct. Once again, he will be in our midst. And we won't need a temple, we won't need other things, we won't need other ways to commune with God. But until then, it's what you do for the least of these brothers of mine. I'd like you to stand up and at the end of the sermon. And um, I'd like the musicians to not come up. Um, because what we're going to do is we're going to do an altarless call. One of the ways in which normally we come to the end of sermons or church services or, you know, other Christian things we do is to seek um, a time of communion with God, nearness with God, by going into ourselves, by being quiet and praying or singing or talking to God and making a decision. And, and that is our way of coming into God's presence. But I thought it would be a bit silly for me to talk about uh, finding God's presence in other people and then ending in this way. And so what I'm going to do now is we're just going to pray where we are, and then you're going to finish the sermon on your own this week by dealing with the needs of someone, of some believer that you know. That will be your altar. This is the call to that altar. Would you close your eyes and, and pray with me for a minute? God, we remember your word. We remember that uh, in some parts of the Christian life, in a, in a central part of the Christian life, um, seeking you, wanting to be near you, seeking to experience your presence means that we find that in ministering to other believers. And so those who are uh, 
hungry and thirsty and naked and sick and in prison and in suffering or in depression or lonely. And we know that that's where we are to meet you in some part of our Christian life. God, forgive us when we have um, neglected this, when we have forgotten this part of what it means to us. Change your hearts. Grant us to remember how much you have done for us. That you laid aside your all. That you died for our salvation. That you have redeemed us. And that if in some way we can minister back to you, we don't get saved by doing this, but if in some way we can express our gratitude to you by ministering to the least of these brothers of yours, um, help us to see what that way is. For each of us now, I'd like you to think of one person, one fellow believer, someone who's within the church or your family or your cell group or your school or your other community, your friends, someone that you know that is going through a tough time, whether it's physically or spiritually, someone who's drifted away from God, someone who needs a touch from you. I want you to bring them to your mind. I want you for a minute to, to pray for that person just by yourself. Ask that God would bring to your mind some way that you could meet their need. God, we lift up to you um, all of these people that we're each of us is thinking about. Each of these people who's a brother of yours, a fellow believer, one who's made in your image and one through whom we can meet you, we can encounter you, we can minister to you today. Help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to meet you among the least of these. In Jesus' name. The sermon is not over. It will be over when you go out and you do something. See you next week. All right. Uh, we have some time, so here's what I suggest we do. Can we gather in our cell groups and just stay here, okay? Um, so CGLs, just stay here somewhere in the hall that's big enough. Just get in your cell groups. And, and I think it will be good if you share with someone in your CG something that, I mean, what you resolve to do or, or what, what God put in your heart to do. And then and you can talk about it and pray for each other. Okay? Ken, CGLs, can you take over?
If you're done sharing, you can pray for each other and then you can go.
she's very professional and she's very friendly. It was a very smooth journey with her during the selection and I think for gown selection wise it's good a wide variety and I think it changes from season to season so that there's no repetition. It's always something new rather than just looking at the old design. I think that's one of the good things about Tiffany. Once in a lifetime Tiffany Okay, guys, before you go, remember to uh, get your JDOP tickets from Wenwen. Okay? And see you next week for Loud Fat. Alright? Yeah, I love fat too. <laughs> is to invite friends for the camp. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go.